1: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 544 of the Packaday podcast, the post game edition of the NFC Championship game. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer and editor for Packer, Packer Report. Excuse me, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Joining me to discuss everything and break down everything that happened in the Packers 49ers game is Jack Webber, who is a contributor for PackersWire.com, and I believe a third time guest here on the Packaday podcast. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. I know we were both hoping that we would have a more fun uh, potential podcast to cover here with hopefully a Packers victory. Obviously, that did not come to fruition but we still have a ton to discuss, including the game today. We'll take a look back at the season as a whole. We'll also take a little bit of a look forward ahead to next season as well. But I want to start by asking you, what were your initial 1,000-foot view down reactions of this game versus the 49ers, and what were your biggest takeaways?
3: Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on again, Andy. It's good to uh, talk to you again. Um, you know, it's if I compare it to anything, it reminds me of 2016 again, where you have you're almost you resigned by that first half because you just it's such an uphill battle that so many things would have needed to go right in that second half but you know my 10,000 foot takeaways I just think San Francisco's a more talented team across the board um I would put their 53 up with any 53, including the Chiefs. The Chiefs might be a little bit better on offense, but they just have the exact players they need for their scheme on both sides of the ball. Their front four is nasty. It's like that perfect combination of they've been bad for so years, so they got to draft those guys. And it's just, you know, on a good day, they're hard to block. So I think at a certain point, it just became too much. And, you know, the Packers did not play good. They needed to play a perfect game, and that was something I kind of had been writing about all week. but and they did not play that perfect game and as a result they got they got their butts whipped
1: Yeah, it was far from a perfect game. In in fact, it was uh, a near disastrous start again for Green Bay. One of the biggest things I think I said, and a lot of people said all week is, you know, wasn't exactly sure if Green Bay was going to win this game, but the one thing I was fairly certain of is that this was not going to be a repeat of the 38-7 to showing from Week 12. Well, I was about 100,000% wrong on that because this was, for the most part, at least through the first half, a carbon copy of that game from Week 12 earlier in the season. Everything that went wrong, you know, that could possibly go wrong, did go wrong. You had the special teams error, you had the turnovers, you had the offense, uh, you know, their inability to pick up first downs on third downs. You had the San Francisco defensive line taking advantage of the Packers offensive line. Uh, A couple, you know, forced fumbles that Green Bay was lucky to recover. You had San Francisco running the ball right down Green Bay's throats. This was, uh, for all intents and purposes, a carbon copy of the first half, especially from this game uh, back into the week 12 game. And I think the most frustrating. frustrating and embarrassing aspect of a football game, period. Is when you know exactly what the other team's going to do, you game plan for it all week. You game plan exactly for what they're going to do. They do it anyway, and they absolutely, you know, pound the rock right down your throats. And that's exactly what happened today with the 49ers. Make no mistake about it. San Francisco wanted to run the football. Green Bay knew they wanted to run the football. There was nothing exotic or different about what San Francisco did today than what they did against really, you know, any opponent they faced in the regular season, certainly the Packers in the regular season. The Vikings a week ago, they did what they wanted to do from the beginning of this game, you know, basically through the end of this game. 29 carries for 220 yards from Raheem Mostert with four touchdowns. You know, two ca- or two carries for 43 yards for Samuel, six for 21 for Coleman. That was, to me... The frustrating part, 286 yards on the ground, I legitimately think had Jimmy Garoppolo not thrown a pass in this game, I think they still would have won, which is an incredible thing to say in today's day and age, but that's how effective they were on the ground, and that's how disappointing it is for Green Bay that they were not able to counter that in any way, shape, or form, or come up with a potential solution to stop the 49ers running game.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll save some of my comments or a little bit later when we get to those topics, but so much of this game felt, I mean, I'm not a good golfer, but I liken it to playing golf where, you know, you what, what differentiates most people from the pros is they can connect, you know, draw shot after shot after shot, but when you play against this 49ers defense, it just felt like any back step was a failure for the drive. You know, they, they uh, a five-yard penalty, uh uh a little throw that gets tackled 2 yards behind the line of scrimmage like any of those was just so much of a mental breaker that they could not find their way to dig themselves out of it and once they compounded that with those with the bigger mistakes such as the fumble the interception and everything like that it just became too much too quick and yeah i'm right there with you with the uh rushing attack you can't i mean you you just have to be better than that i don't i don't know how that happens
1: yeah, and I think the thing that I would have liked to have seen is, you know, just to try something different. I, You know, I get that at the end of the day, uh, you know, your players have to go out and execute, you know, the gameplay that, that's in front of you. And, you know, you can't just play, you know, nine defensive linemen to try to stop the run. At some point, there's a limit to what you can do from a scheme standpoint. But I would have liked to see something different. You know, go out and run a four-four-three 3 with, you know, maybe one of the safeties as a, an additional middle linebacker. But add in that fourth defensive lineman, you know, put the Smiths on the outside to set the edge. I would have liked them to try something different just to counter it at some point because you can't simply let them paper cut you to death, yeah, you know, and, and maybe it would have just opened up play action and bigger plays down the field. But at, at that point, I would have at least appreciated that they were making them try to do something different. Make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the football. He threw, what, eight passes in this game? You know, they didn't give them enough to think about. And they, in San Francisco, never needed to change their game plan in any way, shape, or form. So doing something different, trying to counter in any way, shape, or form would have been something that I certainly think I, w- I would have appreciated. And maybe I'll, I'll find something in the game for, Film in, in my weekly review as I go through it in a little bit greater detail. But at first glance, this legitimately seemed like uh, kind of the same game plan uh, throughout, and uh, they didn't really, like I said, have a counter and answer, especially for that running game.
3: Yep, I, I'm right there with you. I, you know, I would have liked to have seen them just kind of load up sell out against the run and just trust their corners to go one and one and let's just hope they can stick with them because at that point, you, you make Jimmy Garoppolo make a play. I, you know, I don't really know. What the alternatives were at that point, because at what, what was it? I think seven and a half yards per carry for Mostert. It's that it's untenable. You can't win that way.
1: No, you certainly can't, and uh, certainly Green Bay was not able to today. I know one of the big discussion points that I wanted to get into right away was that opening drive, uh, the punt on fourth and one to kind of open the game. Uh, you know, I didn't really necessarily agree with the third down call that only picked up, you know, about a yard and a half, maybe two yards to make it into that fourth and one. Uh, but Matt LaFleur had that early decision uh, to go for it on fourth and one, maybe set the tone right there. Uh, it was still 0 0 at that point. Otherwise, you know, he obviously made the decision to punt it away. They were able to pin the 49ers down inside their own 20-yard line. I know we have the benefit of hindsight now, but I'm curious your take at the time. Did you agree with Matt lafleur punting in that situation, or would you have preferred a little bit you know, more you know, all gas, no break, and, and try to see him maybe be more aggressive and set the tone early in the game?
3: Yeah, I—, I... I could go either way, to be honest with you. I, I can understand why he did it. But at the same time, you know, we heard about it a lot, how we're going to be aggressive. I think the pregame commentary was about how LaFour was playing to win and in, in last time they were playing not to lose. And that fourth and one was a very not to lose type of uh, – type of play right there and it honestly didn't make a difference anyway cuz the offense the, the San Francisco offense drove right down there and I think that in these games you have to take advantage of those situations when you're getting offensive momentum this team just when they're hot you know they they play pretty well but they they stomp on their own their own um they stomp on their own feet in terms of momentum when they do these things and they punt so I could go either way but it, you know in retrospect I do think that punting it was probably the mistake
1: yeah, I, I could go either way as well, and, and I'll say this. At the time, my instinct was that the punt was the right decision, and, and the reason I say that it was 0-0, I thought they put some good plays on offense. They had stopped them three and out on the opening drive. You know, you have to realize, too, that the, the defense thought going in that they had a game plan to stop San Francisco. It worked on that opening drive. And there's no reason to believe that you know San Francisco is just going to march down the field at that point and, and, and take a 7-0 lead, and, and I think I think, you know, they're able to pin them down around, I want to say, like the 11 yard line, something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, to make them have to go 89 yards to go down and score a touchdown. I think that's doing your defense a a favor. And I think you like your odds of of San Francisco not scoring a touchdown, uh, you know, in that situation. Again, as you're thinking of it going into the game. So I don't mind the decision there. And like I said, in fact, that's probably the decision that I would have made at the same token. I can definitely understand the sentiment of wanting to be the the person that puts your foot on the gas, and that really is, is the aggressor in that game. And I think that potentially would have set the tone. It's so tough to say because, uh, you know, on a fourth and one, you, you, you're you really caught in a difficult decision. If you run the ball, you're running right into the strength of the 49ers defense when they're expecting a run. If you pass the ball in that situation, you better have a perfect play call. And uh, you, know, you're, you have more risk in that situation by throwing the ball as well. So uh, you have to come with a perfect play call. Maybe you have a couple, you know, fourth and one, fourth and two type plays that uh, you have that you think are going to be successful, but maybe you don't want to necessarily use those within the first you know handful of plays of the game so I don't necessarily know that I, I disliked the call at the time in hindsight it looks a lot worse because that was really the last time where Green Bay was in the game uh, to almost to an extent you know but uh, again at the time I agreed with it but I, I certainly would not have minded the aggressiveness had they they had they decided to go that route as well
3: Right, you mentioned it, and I, I, it was that third and three call that really hurt them. Um, Jamal Williams went out to the flat, and I, I don't really know. I saw some commentary out there, so I don't really know what was going on, but he had Jimmy Graham kind of wide open there. I don't know if Graham was supposed to rub on uh, Jamal Williams' defender to try to create some more space for him, and that's why Graham was more open than he should have been on the first read. But it just felt like that, that – that third and three had a lot more potential for more of an easy conversion. That's, that's probably more of where my frustration comes from more so than that fourth and one decision.
1: Yeah. Matt LaFleur mentioned in his press conference that they were, uh, basically they tried to get out of the huddle really fast and hit, hit Williams in the flat to pick up the first down. His comment was that when you hit a receiver in the flat like that, you're almost always going to get at least three yards, sometimes four or five, six yards. So, um, it certainly sounded like that was kind of the the plan going in, and it developed so quickly, and he threw to Williams so aggressively that it seemed like that was kind of the design of the play. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I don't like, on, on third and fourth downs like that, sometimes I don't like plays that are destined to go in a specific area and get the ball out right away or, like, screen passes because – it doesn't really allow you that time uh, to improvise. You just have to kind of make that initial read and, and make that initial throw and hope that it works out. And if it doesn't, like I said, you don't have that second option or that improvis- improvisation option. So I don't always like those type of plays in those type of situations, but uh, they, they you know, apparently got the, the look that they liked. Uh, the 49ers made a really great play on it. They stopped, stopped them short, and, and kind of the rest was history. But I know that, that fourth down will be talked about for a while. And like you said, I think that third down certainly is worth some discussion as well. So let's kind of go over this first half a little bit because I think, you know, a lot happened in the second half and Green Bay was able to cut it to 14 points at one point. But a lot of the second half really amounts to what I would call almost garbage time because it was, you know, 27 nothing at halftime and Green Bay was just trying desperately to, to do anything that they could to try to catch up at that point and never really got it closer than that that 14 points with kicking off to the 49ers about midway through the fourth quarter. But you start this game, the 49ers go three and out, have to punt the ball. Uh, Packers get it back. We just discussed the series of events that forced them to punt. 49ers then drive down and score the touchdown. Packers get the ball, immediately have to punt. 49ers go down. They get the big field goal from Robbie Gold, which I thought was an underrated play. Uh, He hits the 54-yarder with ease. You know, instead of Green Bay taking over in, in really prime field position, if he misses that, they not only get the points, but they pin Green Bay back. Green Bay gets the ball pinned back. That was the drive where uh, they had the shaked punt by J.K. Scott it was a what a 20 yarder and and San Francisco started in plus territory. I want to say it was around like the 37 yard line. 49ers immediately score a touchdown and it's 17 nothing. And this is where I thought things really started to unravel for Green Bay. And you might say, well, it was already 17 uh 49ers. It already was well unraveled at this point. But I really thought that this was the opportunity that Green Bay had to maybe just kind of calm the storm a little bit and, and maybe try to get some points before half, go into halftime and regroup. And I thought that if they could weather that initial storm by the 49ers, there's a lot of football left. We saw you know, Green Bay eventually have some success in the second half moving the football. And in fact, on that ensuing drive, they also had success moving the football. They get it all the way down, well into Green Bay territory, what I thought was really a beautiful drive. They ran Aaron Jones really well. They spread the ball around. Really liked what they did in the drive. And then have the unforced error, the fumble between Lindsay and, uh, Corey Lindsley and Aaron Rodgers that results in uh, the 49ers' taking over they get a field goal on the drive it's still it's 20 nothing at that point not insurmountable if Green Bay, again, can go down with a two-minute drill and, and maybe score, even get points. Again, make it 17 nothing go into half with some momentum, regroup. You get the ball in the second half, do something. But they immediately throw the interception uh, on the pass uh, intended for Geronimo Allison. 49ers get another touchdown, 27 nothing Green Bay gets it back again and has to punt, and it's 27 nothing going into the half. And I think that difference from... You know, being down 17 nothing with the ball in San Francisco territory, ready to put up some points, even if it was just a field goal. They were in pretty easy field goal range at that point. To go from what would have been at least at minimum a 14-point game with about five, six-ish minutes left in the, the second quarter, San Francisco football, to 27 nothing by the end of the half. That, to me, was the collapse that really just slammed the door shut on ultimately the Packers' season.
3: Yeah, it's kind of a carbon copy of Week 12. I, You know, it was – the defense actually played better uh, in Week 12, in my opinion, in the, in the first quarter and a half, and then all of a sudden things just started to unravel um, to the point, like you said, it, it just it, – it became it, – the hill got so steep that it was going to take a miracle. Perfect defense throughout the entire second half and a lot of quick scores against a really top defense in the league that – as you said, that 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 fumble. What yard line was that on? Um, the twenty-five, you know, right in the red zone. At worst, it. they get a field goal off of that. Um, but those are just big plays that you can't make in these big situations.
1: No, yeah, it was the twenty-five yard line, uh, second and five. So they were in a good down and distance on the 49ers' 25-yard line. Had the opportunity for points. It looked like they were going to have the opportunity uh, to potentially score a touchdown on that drive as well. So uh, it was, yeah, it, like you said, it was a, a comedy of errors, uh, and it was a, it was a frustrating game. It was a frustrating drive, and uh, they just never could get out of that spiral in the first half. And that's one of the things that's so surprising to me about the the two games in San Francisco is this is a team that just hasn't given up on anything they were the same in the locker room following the losses as they were in the wins they were so uh you know they were so team oriented they were always so positive that they found themselves in these spirals in the 2-49er games and really in the Chargers game too and just completely had no idea how to get out of them and, and just kept compounding the mistakes really just blows my mind. It's like the, you know, the state of California was this black hole that everything just, you know, that could and uh, could possibly go wrong, did go wrong. And it was just the same story, like you said, uh, same similar story as that week 12 game, similar to the Chargers game. And I, in a million years, I would not have thought three, you know, three times in California that this exact same thing would have happened. Yet, here we are, it happened again. and, And now, Again, Green Bay's heading home with uh, no Super Bowl in sight.
3: Yep, it looks like the in the Week 12 game, it was about three minutes left in the, a little over three minutes left in, these, in the first half, late in the first half when San Francisco added 10 points to their score and then, you know, made it an insurmountable lead and it was same same here about three and a half minutes left when when they take a 17 nothing lead and make a 27 nothing lead and that's just you know that's a huge huge difference especially when you come out and you score on your opening drive I um, mean they, they can hold that to 17 nothing worst case scenario right there at 17 10 going into the uh, their their first defensive stand in the second half that's a that's a huge difference
1: yeah it certainly is and again a, a frustrating situation and both in week 12 and in this game as well speaking of that inability to play in california uh green bay 14 and 1 this season outside of the state of california with a plus 119 differential point differential again 14 and 1 plus 119 point differential outside the state of california 0 and 3 minus 61 in the state of California. So, uh, California teams with BOSAs on them were certainly, uh, their kryptonite this year. They had absolutely no answer. I'm not, I have no idea what you can pin it to. Of course, the 49ers are a really good football team. That's one thing you can pin it on, but, uh, just crazy that their three games in California went so incredibly poorly the way that they did.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to add to that other than they just – it must just be that they're a a bad matchup for Green Bay. They didn't have any answers schematically, um, personnel. Just two nightmares – well, three nightmares in California.
1: Yeah, it was. And, uh, like I said, that's why with, you know, Green Bay ended the season the way that they did. Let's discuss the offensive performance a little bit. Uh, a lot of this was, like I said, in that second half when they're trying to get back in the game. Rodgers finishes 31 for 39, 326 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Uh, he also had that missed exchange with Corey Lindsley. Uh, he did take blame for the Geronimo Allison interception. He said, uh, after the game that he could, you know, he has to go back and look at it to see if he, uh, pulled out too early on the, the Corey Lindsley fumble or if, if Lindsley kind of short-armed it. On my initial glance, I thought Lindsley kind of short-armed it a little bit and never really got it to, to Rodgers' hands, and, and that was my initial take at it, but I'll want to look at that again. Uh, Aaron Jones goes 12 for 56 with a touchdown, uh, added another five catches for 27 yards and another touchdown. Uh, Devontae Adams goes nine catches, 138 yards. They scored 20 total points, but all of it after being down 27 to nothing. Um, and, and really, I think that the takeaway here is the offense did not get going until basically the game was over at that point.
3: Right, yeah. As soon as they, they found momentum way, way, way too late. You know, they had that, like we talked about earlier, that opening drive where they looked uh, pretty competent. Um, they didn't go for it on the fourth and one, and then after that, they just, you know, it was a lot of three and outs. They couldn't get anything open. And, and um, like I was talking about earlier, against this defense that's so good, you can't make mistakes. You know, a, a, a false start. I think I think it was Belaga had a false start. But those those little small, small five yard penalties, those incomplete passes, those little run after uh, yards after the catch, catch it, catches that don't really go anywhere. Um, you know, when they're faced with these second and longs, third and longs, those are a nightmare against this defense and you have every play matters. And if they're not going to hit those plays over the top, if they're not going to take those shots over the top. They need to find themselves or they needed to find themselves in good down and distant situations. And they could just never get that going. Add on top to that, you know, the poor punt, um, the interception, um, that's the, all those turnovers hurt. You just, they just made way, way too many mistakes, um, both big and small and, that's what leads you to 27 nothing against a Super Bowl-caliber team.
1: Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, moving along to the defensive performance, not a ton to talk about here, unfortunately, either. They did have the one sack. Um, They had the third down stop to start the game. That, that looked great at the time. And then that was kind of about it. Jimmy Garoppolo threw only eight passes with six of eight for 77 yards. Mostert finishes the day with 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. The 49ers ended with 285 total rushing yards. As I mentioned, Samuel was two rushes for 46 yards and just no counter punch uh, throughout the entire, the entirety of the game. You know, they had the one stop in the second half. Um, but it just it just wasn't enough. They they didn't have anything to stop that 49ers' running game, and and I noted, you know, and I know a lot of people did as well. But watching that 49ers Vikings game from a week ago how quickly the 49ers get out of their stance. It's like a track meet, you know, them getting to their initial block into the second level. It's a really unique system. Their offensive line does a tremendous job. They're ridiculously athletic. And and give credit to the 49ers for how they built this roster. This is a master class in taking a... Uh, you know, a scheme and a system and matching the exact perfect players to that scheme and system. They have the offensive lineman that they need to be aggressive with that stretch zone blocking scheme. But they can also counter it really well inside. George Kittle and Kyle Buschek are the perfect players in Kyle Shanahan's system and are absolute, just ridiculous chess pieces uh, for that offense. Um, you know, Debo Samuel fits perfectly. Emmanuel Sanders hasn't had to do a ton, but he fits well within that offense. Jimmy Garoppolo plays kind of that Matt Ryan-esque role for for that Kyle Shanahan offense. So this is a perfect example of taking the the system that you want to run and matching the perfect players to that system. San Francisco showed it today. Uh, like I said, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo would have even needed to throw a pass in order for San Francisco to win. And uh, they they were strictly the better team uh, than, than the Packers offense and the Packers defense. They showed it today. They showed it in week 12. Uh, but uh, any takeaways that you had from this defensive performance for Green Bay?
3: Well, I'll start by echoing what you said. I, I do think I think Shanahan has his thumb on the uh, on the buttons quite a bit with the personnel as well, along with Lynch. And I think he knows exactly the type of players he wants. They they run a very specific um, running attack that really challenges your eye discipline. And I actually kind of want to ask you a question before I finish. But you know, what what do you think you would need if you're Green Bay? What do you need to to slow down this rushing attack?
1: Yeah, and I think we'll cover this a bit as well when we discuss, you know, some of the things that Green Bay needs to do going forward, but specifically for this question, the first thing is I think Kenny Clark needs a running mate. And you know, I think when Mike Daniels was really, you know, playing well, even earlier last year, but the certainly the year before as well, he and Kenny Clark made such a great duo. It just was frustrating because they didn't have the edge rushers uh, to really complement it. Although, you know, Matthews and Perry were pretty good at setting the edge and kind of funneling things back inside, but That defense was missing so many pieces back then, Uh, but now it's, it's kind of almost the exact opposite back then. You kind of had Daniels and Clark and the rest of the defense was a question mark. Now you have a lot of the pieces for the rest of the defense and you have Kenny Clark, uh, but I think he needs help on the inside. I think, um, Really what you end up in a game like this is you end up with Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster uh, playing a lot of snaps. Montrevious Adams has not developed. Kingsley Kiki will. I really legitimately think, and I think he's going to be a starter in this league, but even if he's not, I think he's very much going to be a rotational piece that can help you, but he wasn't quite there yet. At least the defensive staff uh, didn't feel that he was. And I just don't think, you know, I I think Tyler Lancaster does some good things, but I don't think he's at that quality and that caliber yet. He's the guy that you want as your sixth defensive lineman, not your third and i think dean lowry to the, to an extent kind of the same thing i think he's if he's your third or fourth defensive lineman you're good but if he's your second that's not good enough and i think green bay showed that today you know preston and zedarius and gary are going to be good on the edges uh, and kenny clark's going to be a dominant player for a long time but i do think he needs some help in that defensive line and i think that was a a less um talked about issue for this team uh than than what it really was. I don't think a lot of people were talking about it, but I think it was a major issue um You go back to that Philadelphia loss and the Packers defensive line, specifically Lowry, Lancaster, those guys got absolutely obliterated off the ball. The Chargers loss was very similar. The 49ers loss was very much the same. The loss to the 49ers today was very much the same. So I I think Kenny Clark needs some help. And then I think you see the athletic limitations with Blake Martinez. And uh, Blake Martinez is, is one of those players that's a lightning rod topic for discussion amongst Packer fans. And, you know, I think the answer for, for Martinez is, is somewhere in the middle. I think those people that think that Blake Martinez is just a bum and that he needs to get, you know, that it's a simple decision that Green Bay moves on and that he's a bad player, I think that's wrong. And I think the people that think that he's a really good middle linebacker because he leads the league in tackles all the time, I think that's wrong too. I think he's a solid player. And if he's your 10th or 11th best player, you're probably in a pretty good spot. But at the same token, you see the limitations on film all the time with Blake Martinez. I think you saw it today, his lack of foot speed to be able to get to the outside. You saw all the runs that San Francisco were able to hit on the outside today. Not all of it by any stretch of the imagination, but a part of that is due to the the lack of athleticism and foot speed from a Blake Martinez. You have to get more athletic at that spot. You also need somebody who can hold up at the point of attack a little bit better. You know, I know this this Mike Patton defense isn't necessarily predicated upon uh, a ton of linebackers, but uh, you know at some point In order to do all the exotic stuff that you want to do and play seven or eight defensive backs, you know, you've got to get into some of the second and long, third and long situations. And if teams are getting five, six yards on you on first down, you're, you never are going to be able to successfully run that type of defense. So adding some bulk and athleticism inside next to Kenny Clark and adding some athleticism to that inside linebacker spot, I think is going to be something that can really help Green Bay long-term and certainly help, you know, them against teams like the 49ers.
3: Right. I mean, that's why I asked, because I, I think, I, yes, I think we're all disappointed in the defense, especially because they you know, they took a pretty decent step this whole year. But some of the deficiencies that they've had and have been lingering all season really showed their face today. And I, it does start with Kenny Clark. And I remember I went back a couple of days ago, I rewatched the Atlanta game, and it was just apparent how when when Grady Jarrett was on, how much he disrupted – that that uh, San Francisco back uh, backfield and how much he's capable of doing. And Kenny Clark plays so many snaps, and he's a very good player. But like you said, he needs someone else to help hold the point, help push that line of scrimmage back. And we saw against Minnesota, when they can do that, when they can play on, on the opponent's side of the line of scrimmage, I don't care who your running back is. You're going to shut down the run. And And more to my point is, Looking at as at San Francisco, as an example, you see three linebackers that all have great sideline to sideline speed athleticism. They close on space so quickly. And that's something that green Bay just doesn't have. They put their smaller guys out there. They get blocked too easily. And then Martinez for as good as he is at, you know, uh, um, uh, ordering the the calls and and organizing everything. He is just a, a very limited player and, um, I, I with, with the way that San Francisco challenges your eye discipline and forces you to get out of position, the only way you can really recover that is with athleticism and foot speed. And that's just something they don't have at the second level, and it's something they haven't had at the second level in a really long time. So I think those, once we, you know, we'll talk about it towards the end of the podcast, but that's something that I think Gudekens is going to have to take consideration into uh, going into the off season.
1: No, I definitely think so, too. And just think of it this way, too. Imagine if Kenny Clark missed time, you know, like they, they need somebody there, too, even, even just for that as well, because if Clark goes out, I mean, you're forced to play a lot of Montrevious Adams and, and Tyler Lancaster and Dean Lowry. And, and that's a nightmare, you know, to be frank. And, and again, there's nothing against, you know, those players. I know they're they're working hard and they're doing their best, but uh, they, Green Bay just doesn't have a player the, the likes of Kenny Clark that can fill in in that role. And Clark does so much, and especially if if Green Bay does want to play uh, some of those hybrid defenses more often again next year, and, and Raven Green or Ibrahim Campbell or whoever they want to play uh, in that hybrid spot, uh, it's so important for those defensive linemen to keep those those uh, players clean because they're not strong enough to hold up at the point of attack. And going up, uh, you know, at your point about the Forty ers you know, there's, there's two ways to do this, right? You know, because you're not going to have, uh, you know, three perfect linebackers, you know, two or three perfect linebackers, uh, that are, you know, able to, uh, play the run really well and cover really well. So you have to kind of pick your poison and, and there's a couple ways to do it. San Francisco has chosen to get super athletic linebackers, super speedy linebackers, uh, you know, and maybe they're not going to be quite as physical at the point of attack, but they're still linebackers, but they're, they're as quick and as, uh, you know, fleet footed as you can possibly be at the linebacker position. You know, maybe they're not going to be able to go out and cover like an Ibrahim Campbell or a Raven green, but they're fast enough that they're going to be able to at least be athletic, especially if they're playing in zone coverage. Uh Green Bay is, in a way, trying to cheat. They're basically trying to say, we want that same quickness, but we don't want to have to have the bulk on the field. And if teams are going to run at Green Bay, that's going to consistently be an issue. So uh, getting uh, getting athletic linebackers like that, that can play at that level and have the speed to still hold up in coverage, uh, is obviously, to me, the the better way to go. I like Green Bay's idea of of trying to play some of those smaller players and, and use some more, you know, six, seven, eight, you know, defensive back looks. I I'm for that, but you have to run it at the, the right time and in the right situation. And we saw even today, I thought it was a genius move by Kyle Shanahan with the first touchdown. It was a third and seven, third or eight. Mm-hmm. Mike Patton is predictably in one of his softer, smaller defenses and they go trap play right inside Raheem Mostert. And there's nobody on that side of the field. They, they trap the the defender. They get basically Darnell Savage one-on-one in the open field, and Mostert just zooms right by him for the touchdown. So yes, you, you can play some of those smaller defenders, but you are going to have weaknesses that other teams can exploit. And I know a lot of teams aren't like Kyle Shanahan and, and going to run on third and eight, especially a trap play to try to get you, uh, but there's weaknesses there that good coaches and good teams can exploit. And Kyle Shanahan did a fantastic job of that with his offense today.
3: Right, 100%. I that's the thing. It's it's not neat. Um, of course, you'd love to have you know four first round picks on your on your defensive line. You'd love to have those those light, speedy linebackers. I think for, if you're Green Bay, you want at least one alpha, one guy that can kind of do everything proficiently, and then you can balance around that because they just. It, I think that was the the mo on Pettin is he's quite predictable by personnel and Shanahan took advantage of that. Um, there really wasn't much they could do, and then even when they did get their hands on Mostert and, and, and Debo Samuel, they just didn't tackle very well. Um, you know that hurt them as well. So it wasn't a, it was not a good defensive performance. I don't think it, it, they looked like the like the tank was empty to be honest, um, and they couldn't really do anything no matter what they tried.
1: Yeah, and I think it was all part of the, the spiral, too, of just all the things that were going wrong. The Packers offense didn't do him any favors. The special teams didn't do many favors. You know, speaking of the special teams performance in this game, I already discussed, I thought that 54-yard field goal by, by Robbie Gold was a really a big-time play uh, to not only, again, get the points, but really flip the field position as well. Um, you had a couple, you know, almost misplays by by Tyler Irvin. He had the the loss, almost lost fair catch on that first fair catch where he had to make the the diving attempt, which looked like a disaster all the way until he actually came down with the ball miraculously. He then had the misplay on the kick return. You had the shaked uh, shanked punt by J.K. Scott. There was just it was kind of the same thing for the special teams of uh, as the offense and the defense just missed opportunities, simple mistakes, and uh, and really some some big mistakes. The, the punt by J.K. Scott was uh, an example of that as well so uh any other thoughts on the special teams performance today
3: no i just uh from a a wider lens here what you're saying is you know in when they were playing good football at, at moments during the game during the season, they would play really strong, complimentary football. The offense maybe wasn't scoring tons of points, but the defense was getting the stops when they needed to. The offense was getting just enough points or extending drives long enough. And, you know, the special teams was playing well enough, and they complemented each other well. They protected the ball. They took the ball away. Um, And we saw the inverse of that today. You know, the the special teams lays a dud. Defense can't get a stop. Offense gives the ball up. When you combine all those things together, it really ends up being – 27 nothing at
1: half it certainly it certainly does yeah, if you if you if you make mistakes in all three phases in the first half it's probably going to look something exactly like that what to you uh was the most important play of this game I'm not going to necessarily say the best play of this game because uh most of those were on the 49er side of the field but what was the most important play of this oh, game for you
3: most important play um
1: well, I'll tell you what. I'll go first. I'll give you a chance to think about it. I'm going to go with the, the Rogers Lindsley fumble. And I was, I saw that, I, that was what I was
3: going to settle on.
1: So That's why I wanted to go yeah. first, so I could steal it from <laughs> you, before you. All right, I'll pick a before different you one. It, I'm kidding. You're all good. I, I mean, I think this is a clearly obvious one. And, yes, it was 17 nothing at that point. And, yes, that is a fairly insurmountable uh, score against this team that's that's pretty clearly better than the Packers, and, and maybe it's over by that point regardless anyway, but again, that felt like an opportunity for Green Bay to get back in that game. We saw in the second half they were able to move the ball. We saw in the first half at times they were able to move the ball when they weren't shooting themselves in the foot, so I thought that on, the, the fact that it was unforced, you know, it's one thing if Richard Sherman, you know, comes up and makes a ridiculous play on an interception. It's another if D Ford comes screaming off the edge for a strip sack and Nick Bosa recovers covers it if if Buckner and Armstead come on a stunt and, and force a fumble on Aaron Jones you know tip your cap it's a really good football team I get it but something as simple as a snap from center um, that can't happen and uh, certainly not in a game the magnitude of this and when you're down 17 nothing, from that point forward everything has to go perfect and this was certainly a situation where it didn't and having it be an unforced error is to me what made it such a huge play.
3: Yeah, if I have to pick one that isn't that one, I'd probably just go with the interception on the next drive. I mean, literally the next drive, defense holds um, San Francisco to a field goal, um, first and ten, false start, first and fifteen, incomplete, and then on second fifteen, in your own twenty in your own twenty-two yard line, you throw an interception. Um, and you talked a little bit earlier about you know Rogers thinking. Uh, I think I, I'm not sure what he was seeing with that one but i i felt like in the moment Rodgers wanted to make a play and i honestly can't blame him for it i, I sometimes i rag on on aaron for holding the ball i think he's he sometimes he's a little bit too conservative um trying not to make a mistake but down 20 nothing at that point you have to find ways to make plays and he was trying to do that um and try to force one in there and it just didn't work out that time um and you know, at that point they they score a touchdown. It's twenty-seven nothing. So the fumble definitely, I agree, because that was such a, a turning point. I think adding on top of the momentum for San Francisco, but then after that to to respond with an interception is is doubling down on bad.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, how about a a player of the game for you? And it could come from either side. But did you have a, a player of the game that stood out to you in this one?
3: I think Devonte Adams had a nice game. Yeah, I think Aaron Jones had a nice game in a little bit of amount that he he got to see the ball. Um there just wasn't a whole lot there. There weren't many there weren't a ton of opportunities. I, I think Rodgers had I don't know what play it was, but he it might have been on the on the pick that he had Adams or no on a sack that he had Adams streaking over on the right side. Obviously that wasn't his reads. You can't really blame him, but I thought Devante started to step it up and he was the one that, that really took over the game in the second half to at least make, at least give us a little tiny, tiny bit of hope. But in terms of players, I, I, I don't really know who had a, a standout performance.
1: Yeah, I had Devontae on my list as the, the Packers standout out. As, as far as overall player, or I guess in this case players of the game, I just have to go with the 49ers offensive line. I thought they just owned this game from beginning to end. And mm-hmm. yes, Mostert had a great game, but that what was the stat? At one point he had like 120 yards before contact, and that was like in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, so that basically means that that was yards that was gained for him by the offensive line. And a part of that is his you know read on the offensive line as well. But uh, this was a, a just dominating performance from, from beginning whistle to end of the game uh, from the the 49ers offensive line I thought they were a step ahead I thought they were a step better and like I said Green Bay never had a counter for that so 49ers offensive line gets my overall game ball but from a Packers standpoint I agree as well nine catches 138 yards and trying everything he could to try to get the Packers back in the game uh, was Devontae Adams so I'm with you there uh, I'm I'm curious as well not just necessarily from this game and I think we'll transition now uh from this game uh, again a disappointing end of the season with the loss to the 49ers in the NFC championship but I'm curious as your you know your takeaways from the entire season as a whole you know and where kind of Green Bay's trending from here
3: Well we can't complain about 13 and 3 I mean, I guess you can if you want to be that person. Go be it. That's your own prerogative. But um, you know, 13 and three after what we witnessed the last two years, I, I think is definitely a step in the right direction. I, I think the I, I'm an optimist in this in this instance. I, I think that their arrow is pointing up. I wouldn't blame you if you're a little worried, given that we we emptied a lot of our financial tank um, in the off season, making the team at at, at this point. So, I think. Um, I think what's positive is you saw concretely twice in the season what it takes to be a Super Bowl team. Um, You know where you need to go. I I think part of that, uh, playing in the system for the second year, is going to help. And and Rodgers was, uh, he didn't say anything, he was a little coy, but... I think he more or less understands that they need some additional playmakers outside. I think Sternberger getting another year will help with that as well. I think the draft being as as wide receiver rich as it is will help with that. And I think I think Goodkins knows that in the waning years of Rodgers' career that they have to do what they can while while that window is still there. So, you know, I'm optimistic. I actually think, um, and I wrote this in my takeaways, but I think I think there's a real chance that their record is not going to be as good as it is. It won't be as good next year as it is this year, but they're going to be a better team. That they'll be better off in the playoffs. There'll be a tougher out. There'll be more well-rounded. The roster will be more improved. A lot of the youth and some of the inconsistencies via communication errors are going to be cleaned up. I think they're going to have some more answers um, against the run, uh, simply because they know what those weaknesses are, and they're just you know they're aside from Rodgers, they're a pretty darn young team. So. Um, I'm optimistic. I, I think they exceeded expectations this year. Uh, you know, they won a lot of one-score games, and that's why I was not optimistic going into this game. I didn't think they were going to get blown out, but um, you know they got pretty darn far, a lot further than many of us thought they would.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I actually texted my friend a, a same, the, almost the exact same thing that you just said after the game. I said, you know, Green Bay's probably. I'll, I'll be willing to bet a, a pretty significant amount of money if they don't go thirteen and three or better again next season. But I think they can be better in the playoffs and, and be a better team uh, at the end of the season uh, if things, you know, continue to progress the right way. Uh, they should be able to retain, you know, any real player that they want to retain this off season, whether that's Brian Bulaga, Mason Crosby, um, you know, any of the free agents that. They they want to retain, they should have the money to do so, and I think they can make uh, probably one significant signing, uh, as well as maybe uh, you know adding a couple uh, you know supplementary players here or there if they want to. Um, and I think they have a, another draft class, and I think they have a lot of young players that are still up and coming. So I don't necessarily think that uh, this team is is headed for a major regression, uh, but I do think they have a lot of work to do still, and I think we saw a lot of that today. You know, big takeaways for me. Uh, Zadarius Smith. You know, this was a a franchise altering uh, signing by Brian Gutekunst. Maybe not. Quite to the level of a Reggie White or a Charles Woodson, uh, but maybe only a half a degree or so uh, difference, in my opinion. He's that type of, of player. Uh, he's been phenomenal both on the field as well as off the field. Uh, he's mentored players like Rashawn Gary, and you saw it from practice number one. Rashawn Gary was with Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. He was he basically glued to those two players. Um, so I just think that that signing was something that was so incredibly positive. And to add to that, then Preston. Smith and Adrian Amos, I think was uh, just a, a gangbusters offseason. And I think Billy Turner, while he had uh, some struggles, especially uh, last week against Seattle and towards the end of the season, it's still a massive upgrade from Justin McCray and Byron Bell from a season ago. And I really like a lot of the young players from this draft class. And I know I know a lot of people will focus in on Rashawn Gary and say, you know, this is a, a perfect example. You know, he barely plays in an NFC championship game. And when you make your highest pick like that since, you know, BJ Raji, uh, you have to do a little bit better than that. And and I understand that argument, but I've also seen uh, improvement from Gary. And I think there's a lot of strong football still ahead of him. And and I'll say this too. I think even if Gary doesn't become the player that he was, you know, hoped that, that Green Bay hoped he could become, uh, if they end up with the players that. That I think they're going to end up with out of Elton Jenkins and, and Darnell Savage and Jay Sternberger and Kingsley Kiki. Um, and potentially Kadar Hallman. I I still think very highly of him as well, and that's not even to say that they have a couple lottery tickets still and and Dexter Williams and Ty Summers as well. Um, I I think that this could potentially be one of the, you know, uh, maybe not all-time great draft classes for the Packers, but a phenomenal draft class for the Packers, and that's if Gary doesn't turn out and, and all those other players still do. So really like a lot of the young players on this team, I love the character of this football team. And as I mentioned earlier this is a team where one of the first things I wanted to see all season long is because they were they were jovial and ecstatic and a fun group to be around uh, in the off season and when they were winning football games to begin the season, but. I really wanted to see how they responded in their first loss, their first really big loss. And every single time they were the exact same team every single week. It didn't matter the wins, the losses, they came, they tried to get better every week. And, and you could tell that this was a, a mantra of this football team. And a lot of those same leaders, the same coaching staff is going to be coming back a season from now. I, you know, Matt LaFleur showed that he's very capable of coaching in this football league. And uh, I just think that, like you said, there's a lot of positives to take away from this football you know this football team but the last thing I'll say here is and we touched on it already a little bit you can tell the difference still between a team like the Chiefs and the 49ers and where the Packers were today and I do think that they benefited this season from uh you know from a lack of injuries which will probably come back to haunt them next season It's just how it works um, you know, I think they benefited from some matchups that they got lucky breaks, for example, seeing Matt Moore against the Chiefs instead of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, there were some additional players that were missing when the Packers played them. I think Delvin Cook against Minnesota, uh, the second time is one that comes to mind. I, I think some of those things sort of helped them. And I know that people hated a lot of the analytics or the tape people that said, hey, this team isn't really quite as good as, as a 13 and three team, um, And I, you know, to an extent, I I don't like that, you know, your record is what it is for a reason, but I do think there was a level of truth to that as well. And I'm not saying that that this was a a fraudulent 13 and three team or that they didn't belong here. I think you saw against the Vikings to win the North and the Seahawks last week. And I think you even saw in glimpses today against the 49ers of how good this football team can be. But I think that there has been a lack of them being able to put a full game together throughout the entirety of the season. There wasn't one game that they played where I'm like that, that. That's it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. That's a really good football team. The Raiders was probably closest, and there were a couple plays in that game where the Raiders were uh, really, you know, uh, right in that game and, and about to maybe even take a lead, uh, and then a couple things go their way and, and it kind of spirals out of control. But outside of that game, I didn't think there was, uh, you know, really anything close to a, a complete performance throughout the season. So I think this team still has a ways to go, but I think Brian Gutekunst is going to be aggressive in the offseason, and I think this, a lot of these younger players taking the, the next step and a lot of these players being in the second year of Matt LaFleur's offense is going to go a long way to helping this team improve as well. Uh, and I know that was a really long take on that. So I apologize.
3: <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I Just going to double down on your comment on Zadarius and expand it, it expanded a little bit more. I think when we talked uh, over the off season, I was a little reticent on opening up the bag for a lot of free agents because you know, I, I I was tending to think that let's just roll over the cash, let the system play out, let those guys get their feet wet, then target the guys that you know you're going to need to make that jump in this offseason. And I was proven wrong. Um, and because that really is because Brian Gutekunst hit the home run of home runs. It's really rare when you hit on a high price free agent, and then he hit on multiple high price free agents, and then he hit two starters and a, a contributor have a heavy contributor in the in the draft so to do that I forgot who was talking about this earlier but multiple starters in one off season to completely remake this team and to completely change the trajectory of this team going forward so there is excitement in green bay right now and i think that's something that you know is was lacking in the last few years where it felt like everything was just stagnating um so it's 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 a bad loss but We will move on. There will be more opportunity. It's an important offseason, but, you know, each offseason is important. So I think it's just about determining what your needs are, prioritizing them, spending smart money and going after players that, hey, like Zadarius. if they are a little more expensive, but you know they're going to make the difference, don't be afraid to pony up.
1: Well, let's, I think that transitions us uh, to a perfect conversation. Is you know where does Green Bay need to add and get better uh, in this off season? Um, you know, there's a couple of places, of course, that I'm sure are going to be low hanging fruit here. But I'll let you kind of get to those. But what does Brian Gutekunst need to do this off season?
3: Well, Blake Martinez is a free agent, and I he in the locker room. The the, uh, the uh, local news is showing his interview, but he was tearing up, and I think because he knows that it's it's probably unlikely that he's going to be back. Um, Just based on what I think his asking price is going to be, and I think what teams on the open market are willing to pay for him. You know, he stays healthy. He's been productive in the sense that he gets a lot of tackles. But I think we saw his limitations as an athlete on a defense that really only wants to play one linebacker, and I think you need a guy who's a little bit more capable. So I think that they're going to have to upgrade either through the draft or in free agency at that. I'm enticed by former Badger Joe Schobert. I know that Schobert, excuse me, um, you know, obviously, there's a Wisconsin connection, but he—he's that athletic middle piece that I think could make a difference. But um, I would start there. I think um, you have to find if there's a an offensive weapon that can be had to provide a little bit a de- little bit of depth. But generally, I think you would go in the draft for that, um, and then. For me, it's locking up Brian Bellaga and making sure to keep him for another two to three years just because it's hard to find a tackle in the draft of his quality, and I think he, uh, he can stick around for, for a couple more years. I do think they have the money for that to keep that offensive line intact.
1: Yeah, you hit on a lot of the ones and we kinda discussed a couple of them earlier as well. Uh number my number one on my list was, you know, some more weapons in production out of the wide receiver and tight end position. You know, Green Bay knows what it has in Aaron Jones that knows what they have in Devontae Adams, but I think you could see in a game like today and, and really throughout the course of the season, you know, there are some pieces there, but you could even see today, and, and I know these aren't necessarily your most dynamic players in the world, but the Aaron Rodgers was trying to get the ball out of his hands early and he gets the the ball out quickly to Jamal Williams and Geronimo Allison and Mercedes Lewis on those first couple drives and not a single yard after the catch. And I just think that that's got to be something when when Aaron Rodgers was explosive as a passer. And uh, even even in the late Brett Favre years in that NFC championship game season against the Giants, uh, you know, even going back to that game. What the Packers were so good at was having guys that could run after the catch and just getting them in space and letting them use their athleticism in the open field. And whether that was Greg Jennings or Donald Driver or Michael Finley, uh, you know, and the list goes on and on. We all know the players. But. I just think that they've got to get more dynamic. And I think Jay Sternberger can be a piece of that at the tight end position. Um, but I think they have work to do. I do not think Jamie Graham will be back this, uh, this next season. I think they will move on from him. Um, but I do think they just have to be more dynamic. And I think if you have, you know, maybe one or two more players, uh, alongside, you know, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. I think that just opens up the entirety of the offense. And uh, as I know that this receiver class and even to the, an extent this tight end class in the draft is very well spoken of, but I I almost think that you you may want to try to find a, a veteran that Aaron Rodgers trusts a little bit that he, he feels can maybe open up that offense and, and that he he feels comfortable with that they're going to run the route at the right level. And it doesn't take two or three years for a rookie to to kind of make that adjustment into the offense. And I know we're coming from a season in which we saw, you know, DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel and all these young receivers make such a big impact. Terry McLaurin uh, and the list kind of goes on and on. But I think the odds of that hitting, hitting twice uh, is is definitely probably not great, even though I know this class is great. So I think they have uh, some work to do at that that wide receiver tight end position and just getting more options. You mentioned it, Brian Bulaga, or at least addressing right tackle. Um, they, I know that there was talk maybe this last offseason that Billy Turner could move out there and play right tackle. That is not an option. I don't care how many people, you know, how many times people want to try to speak it into existence. You know, he's having trouble enough at right guard. Moving him to right tackle is, is not an option at this point, at least a successful one. Um, honestly I don't I think there's probably less than five percent chance of this happening, but I would love for them to find a way where they could actually bring back Bulaga and Veldeer. Um I think as long as one of those guys is healthy or in really good shape and the fact Valde can play both left tackle and right tackle is is gorgeous. You know Valdir was just a, an ounce away from staying retired forever so maybe him playing a swing tackle and not having to play full-time doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world to him. if you could make that happen somehow uh, with it being somehow financially conscious, I would love to see that happen. Like I said, I don't I don't foresee a scenario where that happens. If Eldeer wants to play, I think he could actually start somewhere. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But depth along the offensive line is another big issue. Getting Kenny Clark, that player on the interior to team with, finding that athletic linebacker. And then last but not least is just really developing those young guys. This is a team of Jay Sternbergers, Darnell Savage, Rashawn Gary, Kingsley Kiki, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Chandon Sullivan, uh, Elton Jenkins, MBS, Equinemius St. Brown coming back, Alan Lazard, Oren Burks, Raven Green. They have a lot of young talent. If they can really hone in on that and develop that talent, that's the biggest and best opportunity for the Packers to take the next step. It's not just you know draft players you know playing next year, trying to go out and hit home runs in free agency again. Those young players really have to take the next step for Green Bay to be successful next season.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned that earlier. You know, they're a young team, and we can, as we would hope, that there's some sort of developmental curve where they're they're ready to step in next year and and produce. You know, that second year jump. You know, if this is a good rookie class, they all take that second year jump. It could really, really help. You know, especially along that that defensive pass rush, where you have to rotate guys in there. And if if rashan Gary ends up taking that leap, and all of a sudden you can get. Those three on the on the field with Clark in passing downs, you know, suddenly it's 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 a really filthy front, uh, filthy front. Excuse me, that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think we can't forget about you know the the presumed or the hope the presumed uh, improvement on top of targeting need. You know, I I, I like to, to hit some of those wide receivers. I'd like to get a youthful tackle. I'd like to get some development with some instant impact. But, I, you know, that's a thing I'll leave up to Brian Gudikins because he makes a little bit more money than I do.
1: <laughs> uh, just a tad bit, and he's certainly earned that uh, the right to make that money so far. Uh, we'll kind of go lightning round the rest of the way, but I want to get your quick thoughts on some of your favorite moments that stood out to you this season.
3: Uh, I think that uh, the Vikings game, the second Viking game in Minnesota, was probably the the high point for me. I think that it was probably the closest to a complete game during the season in the sense that it was a completely uh, dominant defensive performance. It felt like if they could maintain that momentum – you know, they played that game much better than they played today. If they could have maintained something like that, this game might be a little bit closer. But that that gave us a glimpse of, of what this team is looking like, what it could look like when everything's clicking. Um, granted, you know, Minnesota was down Delvin Cook, but I, I don't even think it would have mattered in that game, and I don't want to relitigate all of that stuff. But my point is just simply that that was, that was really a high point. It, the Oakland game was really cool to see. That was, you know, Rodgers is clicking, everything's working. You know, the offense, I think, within the – Rodgers was playing within the structure of the offense and everything was looking really well. So for me, those high points are really about um, what this team can look like when they're operating at max capacity on either side of the ball. And I think it's something that, uh, that they could potentially use as momentum for next year. You know, look at the film. This is what we can do. This is what we're capable of. We just need to maintain that throughout a game. We can't just do it for a drive or a quarter.
1: Yeah, you had on a couple of the ones I had as well. Beating the Vikings to win the North and going six and zero in the division. uh, The next week when they beat the Lions were a couple on my list. The Adrian Amos interception versus the Bears to start the season. I just thought that that got everything rolling off in the right direction and to have him get that interception against the Bears, especially with all uh, the smack talk between uh, Bears Twitter and Packers Twitter. That was such a sweet moment uh, as well. The Rodgers throw to Jamal Williams in the back of the end zone against the Chiefs, which was just a beyond insane throw uh, and a really incredible catch by Jamal Williams as well, and then just getting their first playoff win since 2016. Um, I thought those were some of the things, and I, I don't want to get into it too much again here again, but I just thought that you know starting the season that way against the Bears and then continuing with their, their run to start the season, um, I just thought that was such an important stretch when you have a new coach coming in. We saw so many of the other coaches get off to such a rough start uh, this season, and things just spiraled from there. For the Packers to start strong to open the season and then be able to continue that to a 13-3 and run, getting the home field and in in a bye uh, in the divisional round uh, really set them up for success. And, and being one you know one win away from a super bowl so uh th- those were my my favorite moments of the season if you had to give a grade to the packers for this individual season jack what would you give them from 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 the hiring of matt LaFleur until the end of the 49ers game today
3: i would uh, say an a minus uh, i almost everything went perfect i think an a is is they execute the plan as is is i mean I'm being, I guess, a little picky here because they, they did a lot of things right, but obviously you would have at least liked to look competitive in the, in the second-to-last game of the season. But, you know, they exceeded expectations. They kept finding ways to win games. I think they covered up some talent deficiencies in places that I don't think a lot of other teams could have uh, covered up. Um, and at times they just they, they looked like they could be a dominant football team, and they have a, they have a, a lot of good momentum uh, to stand on going into their second year, which is, I think, when – in terms of the coaching, you know, Pettin always talked about it last year, but stepping into that graduate level, I would imagine it will be the same for the offense where there's a lot less thinking, they're playing a little bit more. I, I understand Rodgers probably uh, adapts pretty quickly, but those other guys are, are going to be a lot more comfortable making those adjustments. You know, when he's th- that, that feel on the deep throws I think will be a little more precise. And so overall, minus I, a- I think is fair.
1: Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. I think A minus is the appropriate grade. So many question marks coming into the season. Uh, you have two straight losing seasons. You get the new head coach, the three top 50 picks, the four big free agents. How is everything going to work together? How is Aaron Rodgers going to work in a new offense? Bounce back from his injuries from a season ago. Just so many questions going into the season to answer all those questions with a 13 and three season, a playoff win and one win away from a Super Bowl, uh, you know, a, a, a Super Bowl appearance at least. Uh, was really impressive, and uh, I think they built a lot of the foundation of what this Brian Gutekunst and uh, and um, you know Matt Lafleur system can be. And uh, I think this is a really good first step. Uh, history has a, or I guess the, the NFL, I should say, has a way of um, you know kind of smacking you across the face really quick. And we all saw the Bears and Matt Nagy just a season ago uh, really kind of be the darlings of the league, and Matt Nagy, if, if I remember correctly, winning Coach of the Year and um, you know, all of a sudden they lost a playoff game and, and things unraveled very quickly. So this league can be harsh. And if you don't stay on top of everything, uh, things can unravel very, very quickly. But I like what Green Bay's built and I think they put a solid foundation uh, together with this season. And if they can build upon it with this off season and, and developing some of the, those younger guys, uh, hopefully this is the first step. On the way to something even greater. Uh, I'll I'll hit you up on this really quick, Jack. What is, I know we just found out it's going to be San Francisco, Kansas City. But do you have a an early Super Bowl prediction?
3: Oh man, um, you know what? I'm going to go San Francisco. I just think they're I think they're the most talented roster one through fifty three. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL, and he has unbelie I, Tyreek Hill, I don't know how you cover him because you know I, I quipped on Twitter today that I think he runs 70 yard comebacks because it looks like it you know he can run the nine route and the guy as soon as the guy bails, he can come come back with the comeback and he's right where he needs to be every single time. Um, so they're gonna be really hard to stop, but at the same time, San Francisco's front just allows them to, to cover to rush four cover seven and they don't give you a lot of time to throw. And they have and I'm not really sold on Casey's defense, they've played better um, as of late. But in terms of balance, San Francisco is just a a more balanced football team on both sides. I think they can make up for mistakes with more consistency, but it's going to be one heck of a matchup.
1: Yeah, it really is. You have the balance of the Forty ers at at all phases of the game versus the the video game offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. So with the rocket arm thrower, the super speed of Tyree Kill, and just all the ridiculous things that they throw at you. So uh, Travis Kelsey just you know doing his his thing as well. So I think it's gonna be a really fun game. I like I like Kansas City. I just don't think I don't think there's a team that can necessarily stop that offense. And I just think they're scary, scary good on offense. But uh, this has the ability to be uh, just a really special uh, matchup. And I think these are the two best teams in football. And I, I think, you know, sometimes it doesn't always end up being the case. And I, I, I think the Ravens were phenomenal throughout the course of the season, but I think had KC stayed healthy with Patrick Mahomes all season, I think they would have been right there with the Ravens. And I think at the end of the day, uh, it it played out that these were the two best teams and now we're going to get to see uh, ultimately who is the champion, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Any final thoughts? I know we we discussed a lot today, Jack, and I really appreciate you coming on, but any final thoughts today?
3: I guess my lasting thought would be, you know, this team is going to go as Rogers goes. I don't think that's a surprise. And, you know, the – one of the last teams of an aging quarterback to kind of go all in was—I don't know what year it was—it was the New York Giants, and they—they they had a dramatic approv- improvement, but then they just kind of dovetailed and and really struggled the following year. But what I saw out of Rodgers, I think—I think it's pretty clear that Rodgers isn't the same guy he used to be. But what I see is—is is when he's on, he can still throw a laser. He still throws an accurate football. He doesn't scramble as well as he can as he used to, but. The reason I'm optimistic about next year is because I still have faith that he can be every bit the player they need him to be to win a championship.
1: And I think for the first time we saw that he doesn't always have to be superhuman for them to to be able to win some very important football games as well. So I think that was a positive development in 2019 slash 2020 so far as well. So I think that was a, another big takeaway. But uh, as far as my final thoughts, first of all, Jack, I want to thank you for, for coming on and discussing. I know, the, like I said, I think this has been your, your third time coming on. So I appreciate you guesting and, and doing that, especially tonight after a big game today. I want to sincerely thank everyone on the Pack a Day podcast for such a tremendous season. And of course, uh, you know, we don't stop here. It's not like we're all, we'll see you back in training camp. You know, we're 365 days a year, uh, but we've we've never missed an episode. I'm so proud of everyone on this team, and I'm so grateful for being a part of this team. Uh, as I've said multiple times over and over, they make my job incredibly easy, and they make, make me look uh, really smart when uh, really I just lean on them for all the incredible work that they do. So I appreciate everyone on the team greatly. Um, and, and so... So much appreciation for so many other opportunities that I've had throughout the course of the season, uh, Packer Report for allowing me to uh, write and edit for, for them this season and, and allowing me to be credentialed for the first time, which is really an amazing journey, which I'll probably uh, discuss on another uh, podcast at some point, uh, Green Bay Nation for another amazing season, Lily and Marcus do such an incredible job and I'm so appreciative uh, to be able to be a part of that. Uh, Cheesehead TV for doing all the incredible work that they do, but also for allowing us to have the podcast on Cheesehead TV every day. Now the Packers organization for allowing that credential and really for just a tremendous season and uh, how helpful that they were as well with me kind of getting my bearing and, and being at some of the press conferences and in the locker room for the first time. So that was super helpful. Um, all the people that cover the Packers throughout the season, uh, Jack, I know you do a ton of work and, uh, Zach at, uh, Packers Wire as well, uh, the people that are on the Packers Beats, uh, you know, the, the folks at Cheesehead TV, uh, you know, Peter Bukowski on Locked On Packers, uh, it's really just such, uh, an incredible group of people that cover this Packers organization. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of that group. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, uh you know, waxing poetic here on uh, some of the things that, uh, you know, how, how cool it is and how amazing it is to cover the Packers. So many people that get to do that. It's a really incredible job, but it also takes uh, a lot of time away from people's families and, and people who do this uh, a lot of times are doing it out of a – um you know uh, a love for doing it and uh, I'm just so thankful for the people that put all the time effort and energy for, of, for covering the Packers because a lot of times it is a labor of love or like I said it's t- it's taking away time uh, from their their family their friends or other things that they do so uh, thankful to so many people who cover the Packers on a day-to-day basis and I want to thank all of you as well for either supporting the podcast or supporting myself throughout the season uh, I can't thank you guys enough for all the work that you do as well so uh, thank you so much for an incredible year thank you so much to all those out in Packers nation for making it such an incredible season as well. Uh Jack anything else today?
3: No Andy, I just want to say thanks uh, for being on here three times now. It's it's you know, obviously I would wish they would have won, but you know, thanks for the opportunity and you know, thanks for plugging my work and everything. I do appreciate it.
1: Uh, keep up the tremendous work. Uh, you do great work along with Zach over at Packers Wire. So uh, always is a must read for me. Uh, for those listening in, please make sure to check out Matt, Janelle, and Dan tomorrow as they bring you an all new episode. Make sure to follow Jack on Twitter at Jack Wetfer. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL and of course follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. The Packers finished the season 14-4 and with a loss in the NFC Championship to the San Francisco 49ers. We're on to 2020. Of course, we'll have you covered 365 days a year from here on out. We'll get you ready for the offseason. We'll get you ready for the draft. It's just a whole new season that gets started. I know it's not quite as fun as going to a Super Bowl, but draft season is pretty freaking amazing in and of itself. So we'll have you covered right here on the Pack-A-Day podcast. Thank you for a wonderful season, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!